the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Welcome to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Thanks for joining us today. I don't know about you, man, but on a Monday when it's raining like this, like I got no energy. I got nothing. You're going to need to carry us today. I am happy to do so. Hop on my shoulders, Brian Fromm. Because <laughs> I'm sure you had a, I will carry a sleep-filled weekend. <laughs> oh, my children just obeyed and <laughs> slept and all of the things that are so easy about being a parent. You said, oh, Dad, it's Saturday. Let me be a little easier would, for you Would you, you like today? me to mow the lawn, good sir? <gasps> my son what? mowed the lawn for me this week. Oh, It's be, coming. You'll be, get there. I was going to say, you probably have a love-hate relationship even with that because you like mowing the lawn. So here's Here's uh, not where I expected to start, but here's what I here's where I am with that uh, because I'm totally with you. In fact, I think I've said it to you before. Like I don't want him to mow the lawn because I love it, right? But what I've begun a I'm taking pride in the fact that he's actually doing a really good job. Like I'm not having to go over and redo like it, paying attention kinda, to the lines. He's and doing it, and so he's got his headphone. Like he's good, and it's allowing me because one other thing I like to do is like to weed and like do other stuff around the yard. You are so, a real thrill seeker, Brian. Yeah, sure. So. <laughs> So while he's doing, while he's mowing the lawn, it has freed up my time to be out there and do those other things. So I'm, I am enjoying it. it feels like multitasking in the Fromm household. But you're kind of doing it together. That's kind yeah. of a nice father son. It's fun. Every now and then he'll look over at me. I'll give him the big thumbs up. Like you're doing a good job. Oh buddy. my gosh! It's like you guys are shooting a Hallmark TV movie. <laughs> that makes me feel all sorts of good feelings. And the next day I was like, Hey, why don't we go do? I knew you want to go do this. Let's go do this. You did a good job with the lawn, and he had nice. like this pride. That's and, awesome. Uh, so right now we're two for four because he mowed the lawn, and then the next two times I asked him to do it, he 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 did not do it. <laughs> And then this time he did a great job. So we're going to build off of this. He's batting 500. That's a superstar. (laughs) We're going to build off of this. So uh, the biggest story of the weekend, at least in the sports world, uh, Andrew Luck uh, on uh, Saturday night, Sunday night, no, Saturday night, all of a sudden on Twitter just starts blowing up going Andrew Luck, 29-year-old superstar quarterback of the Indianapolis Colts, uh, abruptly retired. All of a sudden these tweets start going out about retiring and uh, and it started this whole crazy thing of like people having takes and people in Indianapolis, like when they start hearing, they start booing him, which is a whole nother deal. I saw the video and uh, it's a weird deal and people reacting to that. Um, but in his retirement press conference, he talked a lot about uh, all of these injuries he's had taking away his joy. So I want you to hear Andrew Luck's words here. I uh, envision this or plan this, uh, but but I am going to retire. Uh, this is not an easy decision. Uh, honestly, it's the hardest decision of my life. Uh, but it is the right decision for me. Uh, for the last four years or so, I've been in this cycle of injury, pain, rehab, injury, injury pain, rehab. Uh, and it's been unceasing and relenting, unrelenting, both in season, both in, and off season. 
uh, and I felt stuck in it. And the only way I see out uh, is, is to to no longer play football. Uh, it's it's taken my joy of this game away. There's a lot there, right? Yeah. That's actually a pretty deep retirement announcement. It wasn't like, well, you know, I've got enough money. Oh, I'm done. He's 29. Right. There are some estimates that if he were to play like some guys are now playing till like 40, he could be walking away from $500 million. That's crazy. On top of that, though, he's made to this point basically $100 million. So he's he's doing okay for himself. I think he's comfortable. Yep. When you listen to those words, there's something very human about that. So I've got some background. Andrew Luck. I listened to this this morning. In seven years, he has had uh, a torn labrum in his shoulder. He has had a lacerated kidney. He has had torn um, abdomen muscle. And now he's retiring right now, mostly because he's had this calf injury that they can't figure out what's wrong and they can't. He he was supposed to be out like two weeks and he hasn't played in like months. Right. Uh, This is on top of a couple of concussions and who knows what else. And he just says, my joy is gone. What did Mm. you what were your thoughts kind of on a human level? Just as you hear this guy at the top of his game right. going, I just, I'm not happy. I'm, uh, it's too hard. I'm, I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah, yeah elsewhere, like it, he cites just like mental, emotional exhaustion. Yeah. And I've, my first thought, honestly, was that I don't know a lot of 29 year olds that are even that dialed in to think at that level, right. to process their own emotional, because there's so much around, and we've talked about this in a number of different ways, sort of the, the hustle, the grind, which in a lot of ways is, I think, how I'm naturally wired just yep. to go a million miles a minute. And that's um, not a good thing most of the time. Um, but I'm I'm interested in a 29-year-old in a league, in a profession that doesn't necessarily, at least in my limited experience, celebrate like, hey, pay attention to your soul. Yes. Like, be mindful of where your heart's at. Yes. And maybe that's happening more than I realize. But like, you know, you, you mentioned some of the backlash and the booing and the Twitter sphere has not been kind to him at all. And a lot of people, you know, like, oh, could have told me that before I drafted you. Like, you know, people there there's I I guess that's comedy for comedy's sake. But there is something I'm trying to think through. Even when I was 29, I don't even think I knew how to process. And again, it's different because he's he's going to be financially just fine, fine, you know. But that idea that he's like listening to his own head and heart and like, I just don't. Everyone in my life is probably saying, keep going, man. Yeah. There's probably a lot of wagons hitched to his success, I imagine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And for him to say, it's just not worth it. I don't I don't want to keep going. The, the joy is gone. I thought, I don't, I don't know. This, this feels like a lot of wisdom, potentially. It in does, decision. does. Interestingly, on Twitter and other places, the reaction, there was a lot of like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Do you know who that wasn't coming from? Was other NFL players. Right. Other NFL players were like, good for you. Yeah. Good for you. If yeah. you're hurt, if you don't have the joy, you get out. We're praying for you. All Any, this stuff. Anybody notably that was saying stuff like that that stands his out to you? Teammates. Uh, like he's like his wide receiver, T.Y. Hilton, like they are like linked together. Hmm. And the guy was like, I've cried since I've heard it, but I've got your back, man. Wow. You do what you wow. got to do. And you were just like, okay. And it's interesting, the people pushing back against like the commentators who are like, how dare you turn your back on your team? All these NFL guys are like, He's not doing like he's yeah. he's got to think about the rest of his life. Don't get mad on our behalf. We yeah, think he's making a decent he's, decision. He's he's doing this, and so it's just really interesting. What do you think's behind the? And again, it's just in the moment, a small number of kind of yahoos. But what do you think about the people in Indianapolis booing this guy who's basically broken his body for their team? Yeah, this report starts coming out on Twitter while they're in the stadium. They're playing the Bears. Right, they're in the stadium. Andrew Luck's on the sideline, kind of this surreal moment, and people start reading like, "Wait, he's retiring," and he walks off for the last time, and people start booing him. This is where I, I feel like I, uh, 
it just doesn't make sense to me I know. because I I mean I've been a Detroit fan my whole life so like I get you know Barry Sanders yeah the exa- that's a perfect example and I get being upset at players and I get feeling like you're at the bottom of the po- I mean I understand all of the sentiment of someone in the stands but exactly what you just said the the thought that like somebody you know, 150 feet away, holding an old style, <laughs> is booing the guy that broke his body. I mean, again, for a lot, f- of money, for a lot yeah, of money, yeah. right? But I, uh, I just, and I, I never understood that. So, uh-huh. And apart from being a criminal, and I, I mean, we were heartbroken about Barry Sanders, oh, and yeah. he was, he was so close to Peyton's record, and he was like our hometown hero, and we, that was actually pretty shady, and we were pretty bummed about that too. Yep. And now that I've gotten some years. Beyond that, I understand. Like, oh, maybe the same same thing. I, yeah. I lost the joy. I don't. I don't care about this record. It doesn't. There is a sentiment for me that, like, yeah, but your city cares. Like, do it for you yeah. know a place like Detroit yeah. that like needs you know some heroes. Um, but yeah, that always. <laughs> this is where I like show like the more pastoral part of my heart. It always just makes me sad. I'm yeah. like, this poor. He's a kid. He's 29. Yeah. That just feels like so unnecessary, and that always, that always kind of bums me out. It does remind me of the old Seinfeld joke where Seinfeld talks about. Um, sports and our fandom and how much we invest in it and he said in the end you're just rooting for laundry that when <laughs> that when people i mean these are literally people wearing andrew luck jerseys now booing him because he said he's retiring it's like yeah it's just crazy so booing for laundry wow. love to hear more reactions to the story you can find us on facebook at the common good radio show that's the common good radio show we're off and running here on a monday free and simpkins my name is brian Fromm. you're listening to the common good on am 1160 hope for your life Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. We're glad to have you join us today. Uh, You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show. On Twitter, at Common Good Talk. That's at Common Good Talk. Online, 1160hope.com. And get our podcast wherever it is. You find your podcast. By the way, I was listening to a, another podcast the other day, a radio show. Another like podcast? How to. dare you? I know, seriously. <laughs> uh, I was listening to a podcast of a radio show that I like, and uh, I felt I laughed out loud by myself in my car because he was like, kind of giving his particulars, and he just goes, get your podcast wherever it is you find your podcast. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I was like, yes. This is like a radio <laughs> professional, and I was like, I got it. Yes. It's weird because I feel that way over the most benign things it's I hear so professionals true. do, and they're like, uh, what was one I heard? Coming up next. I'm like, we say coming we said up next. That. After the break. After the break. <laughs> <laughs> that's how unsure we are of yes. our abilities. If someone else, like, legitimate does it. We're like, that's how we say it. Like, that's how everyone says it. That random guy across the country is affirming me right now. <laughs> right. It's great. Words of affirmation, please. <laughs> that was good. But, yeah, he was like, wherever it is, you find your podcast. Get your I'm podcast, like, yeah. I'm like, yes, okay. <laughs> but, yeah, we enjoy hearing from all those of you who podcast. You can go ahead and uh, subscribe, rate, review. And uh, I'd also learned that that we always say that helps us somehow. What it does is it raises you up, especially on Google, as uh-huh. people search for the common good or something like that. Well, especially with a, a, a name that's this common, that actually does help us out a lot mm-hmm. because there's a lot of things that are common good coffee in their restaurants. And yep. because the name is fairly, fairly popular, that extra helps us. Yeah. And uh, yeah, just helps us to so go ahead and subscribe, rate, review. Thanks in advance uh, for not just doing that, but for listening and being part of uh, of our audience, we are grateful. The uh, family, the common good family, the common good family. <laughs> yes, <laughs> is this where we tell them that I had the idea once to call. What did I want to call our listeners? <laughs> the good, the gooders, the goodies, the I goodies. 
with the good and plenties. Yeah, I still think there's some potential there. Do you let us know what you think about that idea? Would anyone want to be if a kid with swag? You know what we should give them? Two shoes. Two shoes. Yeah, give the goodie. The goodie. Uh, t- <laughs> oh, now I get so stupid. It's I'm sorry. A bad joke. I'm, I'm so, like, wait. I'm I so don't sorry. get it. Like Ian is losing his mind right now. You looked at me with like two shoes, like for affirmation. I was like, I, I don't get it. I now I get it. Like, it's a good I like one. that idea more than I'm thinking about it. <laughs> become a become a subscribed goodie. Get two shoes. <laughs> Oh boy, we that, gotta, that we good. should plan these segments. It's raining. It's a Monday. Come on now. Uh, at Christianity Today, uh, EFCA, that is the Evangelical Free Church of America, so one of the large denominations uh, in our country, they had an interesting thing going on, and that's this. It says the denomination drops end times doctrine from its statement of faith in a move to, quote, major on the majors and minor on the minors. Let me read a little bit of it and then get your reaction. Okay. <laughs> The Evangelical Free Church of America changed its position on end times theology, voting this summer to drop the word premillennial from the from the denomination statement of faith. Many of the 350,000 people who belong to the EFCA churches still believe Jesus will return to earth to reign as king for a thousand years. But the denomination no longer considers that doctrine essential to the gospel. An internal document explaining the rationale for the change says premillennialism, quote, is clearly a minority position among evangelical believers. Premillennialism has been a denominational distinctive for the EFCA, according to the, the document, but shouldn't be overemphasized. And they go ahead and say this. The thought was we must either stop saying we are a denomination that majors on the majors and minors on the minors. Or we must stop requiring premillennialism as the one and only eschatological position, said Greg Strand, EFCA Executive Director of Theology. The revised statement now says we believe in the personal, bodily, and glorious return of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Whether or not Jesus will set up a literal kingdom on earth for a millennium is left to individual discretion. So it goes on and on with some more. But I find that really interesting, A, that that was already in the statement of faith. Uh, and now this kind of conversation they had about saying we want to major on the majors, minor on the minors. So this is no longer, at least for us, a major. What do you think of this? So okay, can I read just a little bit further? Because it kind of, uh, I think this is a great jumping off point. So it says the EFCA uh, has been considering the change for more than a decade. John Woodbridge, professor of church history at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, the EFCA affiliated seminary in Deerfield, Illinois, spoke in favor of the shift back in 2008 saying people really saw high stakes in the move. One person of great stature told me that if you give up premillennialism, you will give up biblical inerrancy. Mm. So that for me, again, we'll both say this. I think I can speak for both of us. Neither of us are theologians. Right. Neither of us are scholars. We care deeply about doctrine and theology and studying and continuing to grow. But I I don't think either of us would put ourselves in that category because I could see someone's blood starting to boil if they were against this position or against this shift because we're going to say, I imagine the rest of the segment will sound something like, yeah, major in the majors. Where it gets tricky is no one agrees with what is major. Yes. So some of those sentiments are not helpful because you and I are like, it's not that big of a deal. And someone else is saying doctrinally, that's up there with biblical inerrancy. Yes. And so you start unraveling this and then all, all it all comes unraveled. It feels like everything's that's some sometimes my issue with systematic theology because everything has to hinge on itself uh, and if you pull one thread then the whole house of cards sort of seems to fall and that to me always feels unhelpfully rigid 
That's not to say that I'm not actually very rigid in some points of doctrine. Yeah. And the way that I'll often talk about it is open hand, close hand. Yeah. And I was even saying this, you know, with our church a couple of weeks ago. I said, we have stuff in the close hand. There's just way more stuff in the open hand. Yeah. So for me, and this is maybe will get me in trouble in the close hand. God made the world. That's a big deal for me. Yes. If, if we lose that, I think we're in trouble. Was it a literal seven days? Exactly. Was it something else? We can all disagree on that, though, mm-hmm. and still call this church home. So that's how we kind of talk about majoring in the majors. But something like this from a organization, from a denomination like this, is actually a pretty curious conversation for me. It is. And I, I'm kind of really with you on that one, where often I will tell people, uh, I'm uh, to use your terminology, a closed hand for me is... Uh, is that God created an open hand is how did God create? How did mm-hmm. that whole process? And this exactly the end times is for me, uh, a closed hand is God uh, <laughs> is that Jesus is returning. Yeah. Right. How, when, where right. exactly, how is that going to play out? Right. Let's, you know, write all your Kirk Cameron movies you want about that, but it's going to be, uh, I think there's and Nicholas Cage and movies. Nicolas Cage. <laughs> I don't want a short. <laughs> Let's Nicolas not leave Cage out the here. cage. He needs the press. But, uh, but I think that that's a great way to think about it. And I think churches would do a lot better and have a lot more crossover with each other. Uh, if, if we could better define these for ourselves, what are the open? Cause oftentimes we not only, minor we not only major on the minors but but we minor on the majors like we we just assume those and then we go crazy about these minor things (laughs) right right cause some problems for us well it's interesting too it goes on to talk about how dropping this from their statement of faith uh will actually help widen the pool from which they get hired and i was like i didn't even think about that like oh that would be a sticking point (laughs) when hiring that's maybe one of the things that i've always really appreciated about judson is because the the theological spectrum held at Judson, there's obviously there's a statement of faith and they have curriculum yeah. and they have, you know, they have processes in place, but there's a, there's a pretty diverse um, perspective there that I, I think I really benefited from in undergrad yeah. where I'm like trying to figure all this stuff out and you can go to this new Testament prof and this old Testament prof and they kind of duke it out and disagree. And you, you learn how to like land somewhere in the middle. And I, I don't know, I, I've really valued that way of teaching. And I never really thought about yeah. them holding to this so strictly that if someone's like, ah, I'm more a millennial. Like, sorry, oh, you're out. Move on. Right. I remember the same. I feel the same way about my education at Wheaton. I remember I did Wheaton in the Holy Lands, which was awesome. And two profs that we got to know really well because they were with us for a month and a half. Right. And I'll never forget you're in Israel and you're watching these two profs debate about baptism. They both believed in baptism, uh-huh, but, right. you know, child baptism versus believer baptism. Right. And you're like, oh, my gosh, these are two guys so much smarter than me hmm. having a civil debate about baptism. You're like, OK. Now I get this. This right. is good. Totally. And uh, and that's good. Uh, so you and I, we both say we're not theologians. We're both uh, preachers and we deal with theology. Well, coming up next, we're going to do what we do each Monday and talk about what we preached yesterday in our two churches. So that's coming up next here on The Common Good. AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to the Common Good on AM 1160. I want to walk up onto the stage every Sunday to that. Do you have walk-up music at Four Corners? Now I will. I do not. But if that could be it. That's funny. That could be it. Just walk up to that. Could you imagine? Everyone's like, okay. So that's John Legend. Did you watch the video yet? Last time we did this, no. come on! It's been no. a week. That's all right. Yeah, I it's forgot. Okay. I will. We we got sidetracked on me saying there's still videos. Oh, that's right. <laughs> we spent half the segment talking about that. Like they still make music videos. So we talked to some other people here in the office, and most people were on your side, obviously, knowing that there's videos and there's. Okay. 
but uh, there was one or two my age who were like, really? Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> felt you felt vindicated. Yep. Yeah, I'm okay with that. I'm clearly like you and I are only, what are we, six years apart? Yeah. Somewhere in that six years is the divide <laughs> on this talk. I, man, I was also homeschooled, though, which creates a whole different uh, timeline of development. So that's funny. <laughs> that's funny. So uh, each Monday, uh, Ian and I, we've always said since we started this show that as pastors who regularly preach at our churches, uh, Mondays are interesting days. You're kind of tired. Um, you're you're kind of reflecting upon what you preached. Maybe like, oh, that that's what landed well. Oh, I wish I'd done that. You ever have that? You get you walk oh. off for a couple hours later. You're like. Oh, I really wish Have I said I ever. That. That's every time. That's <laughs> is every. It? Yes. Do you go back and listen? 100%. Really? Ever since I started preaching 16 years ago. So you listen to everyone you do, basically. Maybe there might be one or two you missed, but. I think most everyone. Yep. Because. It's like <clears> watching game, game tape back. It's like. I have a document open uh, where I just I it's pretty neurotic, actually, but it's like words. I say too much words. I'd like to say instead making note of like verbal tics. We have video now. So I'm like watching wow. body language posture stuff. Yeah, it might be too much. It's maybe too much. My guess is the right answer is right in the middle of you and I because I might surprise you the other way. I can't remember the last time I listened to a sermon I preached. You can't remember? Uh-uh. No kidding. I don't remember. Is that un- is that intentional? Is that on purpose? I think I just don't even think. I like move up. Monday comes and it's like, all right, this week. Next thing. Here yeah. we go. But I, because like of that, that too, I probably have some verbal takes that I write or things I don't know. But I've actually been meaning to talk to you about that. That's, <laughs> this is an intervention segment. <laughs> right now. Uh, the, the bad part about having both of these jobs now is like but we have verbal takes at each of the separate ones. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, that's true. The takes don't often. A lot of the takes that I have. I have, I have <laughs> ding, that I have on the show. I don't have in uh, preaching oh, no and, and vice versa, which is very strange. No doubt. So uh, one thing we've done on Mondays is to just kind of talk about, hey, here's what we preach to our prayer. And our hope is that it is an encouragement to you uh, out there, just uh, as you hear kind of a synopsis of what we did. So we're in the middle of a series still on first John and we got to first John chapter four yesterday. But before that, did a child dedication, love nice. doing child dedication. Nice. But I had this moment in the child dedication. It went great. But that's one of the things where I actually have a kind of like a script because you want to get it right. Right. And it was right before I preached then. And, and I was reading the script and I stumbled. I don't even think people could realize it, but I can realize it. <laughs> yeah. I stumbled over so many words <laughs> that then in my mind, I start going, this next half hour is going to be rough. <laughs> like, Do I have to stay up here with a microphone? I yeah. was just like, uh, literally, the, I'm just reading the words in front of me. And they were like, they're not coming out of me. But anyway, first John chapter four uh, and kind of covered the whole chapter, but really honed in on verses one through six. Uh, and it's this weird ch- uh, part where John says, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And, uh, Remember, this young church is being battered by this false teaching, especially about the incarnation. And so John says, uh, basically, here's your test. Here's your test when messages, preachers, whatever, teachings, uh, every spirit that acknowledges Jesus has come in the flesh is from God. That mm. Jesus is the bar. And so I mm. kind of pounded that home for a while yesterday that that Christianity uh, we make it into a lot of things, but ultimately at its foundation, it's about Jesus, right. that Jesus came, he lived, he died, he rose again, and uh, and everything changes from that. And so I basically said, uh, messages that glorify and magnify Jesus, we embrace, ones that diminish him or discard him, mm. uh, we ignore, well, mm. not ignore, we reject. Mm. Uh, and so then I also touched on, then in 7 through 21, he goes back to what he talked about in chapter 3, all about 
because God loved us so much to send Jesus, we now love others that way. So we talked a little bit more about love and that that's the bar uh, that we are to love others. So I enjoyed the morning, man. It was really good. We then did a church picnic afterwards out at a park. Love it. And uh, everyone picked up their Jimmy John's or their Culver's and we played and had fun. And one of those days you go home, you're like, all right, I like my church. Good. All right. <laughs> For this week again, I like my church. So oh. hopefully after next week, yeah, it's like a week to week. Fingers basis. crossed. <laughs> uh, so what'd you preach? Uh, let me guess. Hold on. BL, I think you guys are in the E of bless. I'm going with eat. We did. Boom. It was a whole sermon on I, eating. There we I go. Got I got more amens <laughs> than I have in a long time. And next week we will discuss gluttony. <laughs> That's right. So if you're uh, if you're just joining us, there's a, a bless acronym that we use, B-L-E-S-S, and uh, there are five missional practices for how to bless our neighborhood, bless our community. Uh, B is begin with prayer, L is listen, and then yesterday was E for eat. I started off talking about um, how much we love to eat as a culture. We have eating competitions, which normally people think of hot dogs, right? But did yep. you know that there's uh, a crawfish one, an onions one, a fruitcake one, a beef tongue one, <laughs> and maybe the grossest was mayonnaise? And the uh, guy, yes. the current record is um, four 32-ounce bowls eaten in eight minutes. Yes. How? That's gross disgusting so i didn't i didn't used to know that but then i (laughs) I was gonna say it sounds like you do (laughs) i did because i somehow got one day got into a deep dive of reading about the whole we only like you know the nathan's hot dogs but there's a whole circuit of competitive eating that is gross yep well and that's i had to move on from that quickly because it it was gross but i the whole premise was when we think of jesus we tend we tend to think of like miracles Mm -hmm. walking on water but so much of what he did was centered around a meal and it was very scandalous because the people he associated with were, you know, quote, sinners, this yeah. like explicit group of people who were these non-religious. And so we were in Matthew nine, where Matthew, the tax collector, who was one of the most despised people because he was like the Jews would have seen him like as a traitor because yeah. right? he worked for yeah. the Roman government and he was made his money by overcharging people. And after Jesus says, follow me, he goes and has a meal with them. Yeah. And he does his first miracle at a wedding feast. He feeds the five thousand. The night before his crucifixion, he's sharing a meal. After the resurrection, even, he's having breakfast. Like, there's so much. Mm. And in this culture, we miss because who you ate with said something about who you valued. Oh, interesting. It it was a way of saying, they're in my social class. It's a way of speaking identity and purpose and dignity and value. And so we said, eating is something that we already all all do. When we tend to think of, like, mission, it, it often feels like one more thing I have to add to my schedule. Like, what if we spent one meal a week? for missional eating for just being intentional about using that as an opportunity to speak dignity and purpose into people. And, and that's the thing that's already kind of built into our schedule, which is uh, what I really love. But Henry now had this quote that kind of wrecked me. He said, when we invite friends for a meal, we do much more than offer them food for their bodies. We offer friendship, fellowship, good conversation, intimacy, and closeness. Mm. When we say, help yourself, take some more. Don't be shy. Have another glass. We offer our guests, not only our food and drink, but also ourselves. A spiritual bond grows and we become food and drink for one another. That's and I good. just I just think that picture is so good. So I walked through some of like the excuses we make and I uh Alan Hirsch and Lance Ford wrote this book called Right Here, Right Now, which by the way, if you've not read, it's fantastic. It gives so much language for this idea of just mm-hmm. being on mission with our, our regular lives and end of this really cool viral story from a couple years ago about a, a young guy named Eric and an older woman named Jan who were both eating alone at McDonald's and Jan just said could we have breakfast together and this uh, whole like beautiful friendship formed that I just the whole day was a blast because cool. after that then we had a, a beach barbecue baptism thing in the city and we had a bunch of people get baptized on the beach and shared an actual meal together yeah. and out of the yellow box we were doing a cookout so it was people sharing meals together and it was like 
What if we, you know, the mystics have this phrase, every table is an altar. Mm. Every conversation, every meal is this like sacred opportunity to be Jesus to one another. Yeah. What if we elevated this thing that so often we're just warfing down to get to our next thing? What if we saw one meal a week as a chance to be on mission together? That's and cool. that was that was kind of our, our charge for everybody. And I think that's that's a great challenge because uh, as a preacher, if you were like, hey, I'm going to do a whole thing on eating, I'd be like, really? Yeah, right. Okay, but it is. It's so, so central. In the text totally. That's really good. That's really good. Well, I we hope that's helpful for you guys. Uh, if you're not a part of a church, we'd encourage you to become part of one, whether it's one of our churches or one locally. Um, but hopefully that is helpful. Well, coming up next here on The Common Good, going to talk about a tweet uh, that I saw that you linked, not from your own Twitter account, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I believe from the founder of Babylon B. It's an interesting quote by J.C. Ryle that we're going to wrestle with next here on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Thanks for joining us today. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show, at Twitter at, at Common Good Talk. That's at Common Good Talk. Find our podcast wherever it is you go and get your podcast. We thank you for podcasting and listening, uh, however it is that you do. Uh, so every now and then, we like to just pull out tweets that we find, right? And, uh, sometimes I've surprised you with tweets that you've written, kind of have <laughs> you explain or defend. But this one uh, is a quote. Uh, that was tweeted by Adam Ford. He is a uh, founder and editor of the Christian Daily Reporter and the founder of the Babylon Bee, which we discussed last week. We did. Uh, he quoted uh, J.C. Uh, Ryle. Mm-hmm. So J.C. Ryle said this. Let me read the quote, uh, and then the floor is yours. Beware of manufacturing a God of your own, a God who is all mercy but not just, a God who is all love but not holy, a God who has a heaven for everybody but a hell for none, a God who can allow good and bad to be side by side in time, but will make no distinction between good uh, and broad in eternity. Such a God is an idol of your own, as truly an idol as any snake or crocodile in an Egyptian temple. The hands of your own fancy and sentimentality have made him. He is not the God of the Bible, and beside the God of the Bible, there is no God at all. J.C. Ryle Tweeted by Adam Ford. So I, I put it on your plate because you're the one who put this in the rundown. So <laughs> you saw lots of tweets and you chose this one in particular. So go ahead. I just want more Anglicans in the show. That's that's <laughs> mostly why we need more. Angli- I think he was Marcus Brown. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> I think he was actually the first. Is this right? The first bishop of Liverpool. Can you look that up while I talk? I'm going to look that up I while think, you talk. I Not think... that I ever look up stuff while you're <laughs> talking. <laughs> I'm sure people could uh, identify which segments that has happened. All right. So here's here's what I uh, find interesting about wow, quotes. The beginning of this was he was the first Anglican bishop of Liverpool. I am impressed that you knew that. Wow. Thank you that for being impre- impressive. My, I mean, Liverpool, though, has a special place in my heart uh, for other reasons. But, you know. Born in 1816, died in 1900. I could there not have go. told you any of that. I would have had no idea. Um, okay, so he's not the first person to say things like this, um, both modern and ancient versions. The thing that I find so interesting about statements like this is it is still a statement of this particular thinker, theologian, pastor's opinion mm-hmm. about who God actually is. Uh, so it really kind of picks up steam at the end because when he talks about the hands of your own fancy and sentimentality have made him, um, that's to some degree what all of us are doing. Mm-hmm. Period. When we make these like really odd straw man arguments, like, well, I'm just, it's kind of akin to the Bible says that that settles it, right? Mm -hmm. Like as if people have not 
disagreed for centuries on this one verse or how this one word is understood in this context. Yeah. It does create, I think, a strange superiority when we see things or say things like, you guys, you're just making God in your own image. I'm here standing yeah. on solid ground of yeah. like full knowledge because I'm just sticking to the Bible or whatever way you say that. I think he's got a lot of truth to that. Yep. I find it so interesting that this is tweeted by the guy who's like, at this point, maybe the most infamous <laughs> Christian satirist, right? It is interesting. That's pretty fascinating to me. But I And I do want to be fair because uh, I know a teensy bit about uh, J.C. Ryle, and I think um, I think he's he had a lot of really wonderful things to say. I'm curious if you think statements like this in this day and age are even helpful. Like, if someone really truly is caught in the trap of making God in their own own image, do they read this and are they convicted, or are they just more riled up? Or I'm I'm curious what you think the practical benefit even of saying, tweeting, or believing yeah. things like this actually is. So, A, let me just point out the great move you just did there by saying riled up about the J.C. Riled. <laughs> that hey, was well played. That yep. was well played. Uh, so I think that the whole concept of creating God in our own image that you uh, talked about there, I think, is a really helpful thing to discuss because uh, we all make God in our own image, right? We all read the Bible through specific lenses. We all uh, do that. And the question is, like, how do we... Uh, better acknowledge that and recognize that is kind of the uh, the task. Now, the second end of this, I think, is the is is what Ryle's talking about in here. And I do think I would love to know why Adam Ford, like you said, of the Babylon Bee, chose this quote. Um, but I do think. All right, let me put it this way: I wonder if uh, if Ryle uh, his main point isn't a good one for us to wrestle with now. I do think that you know. Um, maybe this is a straw man or just painting with too broad of a brush, but I think a lot of times uh, churches get the at least the reputation of not being strong on sin, not talking about sin, not talking about mm. judgment and consequences, uh, and always running towards love and grace. I've, in fact, had to have that conversation with some people in my own church who have levied that at me. <laughs> that you uh, don't speak uh, strongly enough to the sin or in general, sin, in gen- okay. in ge- not specific people's sin, but sin in general. Got it. Right. It's the old, uh, you can't understand the good news of the gospel without first understanding the bad news that they're kind of proportional mm-hmm. to each other. Uh, I usually, but you can swing too far the other way. I would say a lot of these people who say that to me, uh, they tend to want to really harp on the sin and like, what, right. what, let's get to the grace part. Like it's there. Um, but I think that's what Ryle is interesting in our day and age because there is a lot, and I'd be curious your thoughts on this. There is a lot, I would say, uh, of of Christianity that's that, that likes to just be like, "Don't worry, you do what you're going to do. God loves you for what you do." And it's a it's a hard tension. There's you can fall on both sides, but I suspect. Uh, so I I would say the meat of what Ryle talks about here and that Adam Ford tweeted I think is a challenge for us to wrestle with within our own Christian culture today. I think it's interesting though because the tension sometimes what's on the other side of tension is being loving or not being loving. That Correct. to me is not a tension at all. Nope. The Christian that wants to justify non-loving behavior no matter how strongly they hold their convictions nope. to me is that's outside of Christ likeness. Just mm-hmm. period. I don't to me that one's non-negotiable. The, there's so much written in the gospels about love and a posture of love yep. and, and God being in his very ontology love and that they'll know that we are his by our love and blah 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 blah. Now we dif- I think we probably differ 
on how that manifestation of love actually looks in practicality, which is where I think we sometimes end up at an impasse with other denominations or other how you interpret it. Oh, sometimes the most loving thing is to tell someone the truth. I totally agree with that, but I see so much justification for terrible methodology because like, well, it's true, isn't it? And he's loving, but he's also a God of holiness. Or he's also a God of truth. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, but there's so much toxicity and, and snideness. And we just kind of, this is why I find it so interesting. The source that it's tweeted from, yeah. because so often I think we justify our approach and our method. And we assume that if, well, if my end goal is to just tell you the truth about yourself, I guess I don't really have to be loving. Cause I guess in its essence, right. I'm being loving by telling you in the first place that to me feels so circular and so unhelpful. Like it's, it's actually something that we read on Sunday, this interaction with the Pharisees and Jesus eating with those people, right? Jesus is common to them before he says, or after he says the, you know, the doctor doesn't come for the, healthy but the sick yeah he says go learn what this means i desire mercy not sacrifice he's quoting the old testament to people that know the old testament mm -hmm. he's saying you guys are really good at following the rules but you don't have a heart for people you don't have a compassion for people you got great theology but apparently it hasn't impacted the way that you live your life and jesus seems to be pretty concerned with that disconnect yeah yeah do you think for most people uh in our last 30 seconds here do you think that for <laughs> most people this is uh not uh, it ends up being an either or, even though we would never say it. I'm either going to be loving or I'm going to be, uh, you know, talk about sin or I'm going to be I'm going to love people. Well, it feels like an either or. Yeah, I think sometimes people. Be. Right, right. And I think probably the biggest struggle and maybe the hardest work for us to do is to help expose the things that we think are loving that actually yep. aren't. That's really good. I feel like we could talk all show about that quote. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but it's an interesting one. We'd love your feedback at uh, the Common Good Radio Show on Facebook. Uh, this is The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Ian Simpkins. My name is Brian Fromm. We're glad to have you join us. I think we're doing okay for a Monday. Monday, <laughs> wet outside, rainy, kind of blah out. You, this is like your move, like us doing like a mid-show self-assessment, like, okay, guys, uh, you're yeah, on pace, uh, way to go. I think we're doing okay. That's okay, you know, yeah. What did you give us last week a when B I asked you? A B minus. B minus. <laughs> man, oh man, I was depressed the rest of that week. <laughs> Brian Fromm thinks we're a B minus show. Oh, uh, I feel like, uh, I feel like I was kind of joking, but that I, that I hit something deep in you there on that one. No, I'm fine. <laughs> now you are. Yeah, I, I recovered. Now you are. Well, you can find us on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show on Twitter at Common Good Talk. That's at Common Good Talk. Find the podcast wherever it is you find your podcast. Well, uh, the uh, the singer Pink, uh, who you love, by the way, I don't but big fan. Do. You always are do. singing Pink when but you I come in the studio. That like it feels like ever since my kids have listened to more and more radio, it feels like the same like five singers are on major radio stations. And when it comes to female singers, it's like Pink, Kelly Clarkson, and, and uh, Katy Perry, and a little Taylor Swift. I just don't feel like I can handle any of them. <laughs> I, I actually didn't realize Pink was that high in the rankings. She's that big of a star still, or at least on the radio. Because wow. I've actually been surprised. Like you'll like you'll be like, oh, that station, whatever. Now my car that I have, like, will literally. This is total like 
you know, tells you my tax bracket right now, right? Like it'll show you who's on the radio. Like it'll give you the name. I'm like, I feel like I'm. Wow. You're living large, I'm man. I'm living like the other half, man. My, my bicycle doesn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm surprised how many times pink comes up. It's like pink, Kelly Clarkson, Katy Perry, Taylor Swift. I, I honestly had no idea. Pink's big hit. Like when I was in high school, I guess, or maybe junior high, she was like this punk. Yeah. She was like this sort of like edgy. And then she started writing pop music and here's less edgy now. So anyway, Pink issued an online challenge. It says this, Alpha of ABC News is where we found this. Go one day without criticizing someone. It says Pink and her husband, Carrie Hart, have had just about enough of the parent police shaming them nonstop for how they choose to raise their two children, Willow and Jameson. Hmm. The singer is now essentially daring people to stop criticizing her and Hart in the form <laughs> of an Internet challenge. On Sunday, she posted a photo of Willow sitting on Hart's lap, wrapped in a towel, having apparently just exited swimming somewhere Hart reposted the photo and write i think it's a long shot but i'm optimistic oh this is about the challenge he put in there right uh the challenge is i'd like to propose a worldwide internet challenge to anyone reading this today go one day without criticizing someone online let's call it the miss me with the blank challenge and if it feels good (laughs) hey why not go two days but let's start with one for the overzealous out there a little sarcastic uh It said, while Pink had disabled comments on her page, her husband is not. His commenters were largely supportive of the initiative, though someone turned the tables on him and slammed him for posting a photo of a guy at the gym with his face blacked out who was reading the paper while sitting on the calf press machine. (laughs) Hart had trashed the guy in the post writing, this is next level uh, move. This dude was posted. Are you up. trying to edit this in I real am, time? I am. <laughs> Reading the newspapers on the workout equipment, and friends wonder why I hate public gyms. So anyway, uh, the person was calling him out for a little bit of hypocrisy. But thoughts on the online challenge? Uh, would it be helpful if we as a culture embraced go one day without criticizing someone? Well, that's an obvious yes, isn't it? I'm teeing you up, man. Go for it. Well, that's all I have to say on the matter. Yeah, stop. It's not it's not helpful. No, I so I uh, I shared this story because I saw another story that I didn't, I didn't want to play the audio. In fact, I don't think we could. So there's this uh, this video on Twitter that went viral about a woman uh, who had like pulled way over the line in the parking spot okay. and was screaming at the woman filming who happens to be Asian American and was letting loose a string of racial slurs and profanities. Mm. So Twitter responds the way that Twitter does. Like, let's find this woman. They found her Facebook page. Turns out she's a Christ follower and has served on like diversity and understanding oh, boards no. and has even tweeted like Jesus frees all of us from being. And I'm when I, Brian, when I'm telling you, it was vile what oh, came out of her mouth. No. And everyone has bad days. I totally get it. You and I have had bad days. It was so heartbreaking. And they, I mean, again, the internet found her really fast. And they're like, hey, they did. Hypocrite. Uh, serving oh, no. on these boards or being a part of the church community and even calling other people out. Like screenshots of her saying, we, we need to be careful about it, the way we speak of people that look and talk and act differently than we do. For this to be her in this video, it was so upside down bananas to me and again everyone has a camera now everyone has a video camera and so like even the comment here at the end uh, about Hart's photo of the guy at the gym the commenter said uh, maybe let's start with removing the photo of the guy at the gym public criticism versus someone whose full story you don't know is the worst type of criticism in my opinion so like there's already the sort of back and forth where a celebrity says hey let's criticize less and then the internet saying yeah but you're not great at this, though, which, okay, so that maybe that's a whole other discussion. Yeah. Does someone's record have to be absolutely squeaky clean for them to make a point? 
it's not dissimilar from some of what we talked about when a pastor is caught in some sort of moral failure. It doesn't mean every sermon they ever gave is garbage. Yep. There's still this truth. I think Pink's challenge, like, hey, what if we just went one day? Like, I read that and thought, well, oh, that's a real struggle for me. It's actually really easy for me to come up with a criticism, to come up with something that's wrong, to come up with something that's not the way that it, it should be. That is not a thing I like about my yeah. brain. It's, it's easy to go there. But for people to say, well, the challenge has no legs because you sometimes criticize. To me, that fe- that just feels so circular yeah. and unhelpful. And I don't know how to get past that. So I do think what is helpful in this, like that that example you give there about the lady who was kind of shamed. I think that's Twitter. Let me think about this before I said, I think that's Twitter a little bit at its best. Yeah. Shaming someone who deserved to be shamed. Well, but, some of it was pretty awful, too. Some of the comments to her were yep. horrific. But the commenters, like especially these types of celebrities, but just in general, you know, I think it's become well known to be called these people trolls, right? Like right. online trolls who are like lobbing critiques at people. And she even talks about parent shaming. Like we see that. That's like a big thing. How would our world look if just our online platforms were much more positive places? And I yeah. think for that, now again, this feels like it was done a little bit like, hey, leave my kids alone. Right, right, right. right. Uh, and it is kind of next level for the person to go then to her husband's Twitter field to fe- fe- yeah. feel where he was That's doing how it. the internet works now, man. But uh, I, let's ask this question, and maybe it's more maybe it's more obvious, but why do you think the internet really does feed so much on negativity just in general? Uh, I think we're hardwired for it. I think there's wired for negativity. Mm-hmm. Yep. I think there's neuroscience to back it up. I think uh, I heard a, a neuroscientist talk about when it comes to the bad and the ugly, our brains like Velcro. When it comes to the good and the beautiful, our brains like Teflon. Wow. It attaches to bad and negative to criticisms very quickly, very easily in an imprints without effort. And to really sit and enjoy the benefits of beauty or gratitude uh, you have to, it's why like meditative practices have mm. been so important, even especially in our tradition, Yeah, uh, because it's very counter our biology. And uh, so I think that's part of it. I think when left to our own devices, it feels good, right? Like even huh. scripture speaks to gossip being like a morsel that goes down, right? You ever taken a bite out of a candy bar? Like, well, now I have to eat this whole thing. Uh, that's how yeah. gossip is, right? Yes. You Yesterday. Right. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'll just have a nibble. And then all yes. of a sudden all four donuts are gone. You're like, oh. That's the the writers tell us that's how it works. Like you get a, a smell of it, mm. it's going to just keep enticing you. And I think we're seeing that played out now in the digital arena. I think it's probably always been that way, but it's it's just being amplified now, mm. which is uh, a little dystopian for me to say. But I think there are people doing really good, beautiful things in the world, and that's why. Like even on the show, we're intentional about, hey, we're just going to share a feel good story. We don't have like a cool angle at all. I don't have like any there's no gotcha moment. There's no like sermon application point. It's just goodness. There's good people. There's a kid that won 15 grand and donated it. Let's celebrate that. That's worth talking about. And I think we need more people kind of using whatever their platform is to do that because the negativity can can drag it down. (laughs) And and that's the weird thing about the Internet. I think you make a good point. We're probably uh, I remember as a young kid being told, don't tear others down just to lift yourself up. Right. 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 And I think that's what you're getting at. We're, we're wired to do that. Like when we can, uh, when we can bring, whether it be a celebrity or someone else closer to our sphere down, it, it somehow in our minds elevates us, which is totally not true. It just doesn't work that way. Right. But it makes us feel that way. Uh, and now I think, like you said, things like Facebook and Twitter have become just more platforms to do that to even people we have no idea. Like, most people wouldn't be able to tell Pink what they think about her parenting. 
right. but Instagram allows right. them to. And so that's a great point. Yeah, I think the challenge for all of us, the two of us included, is go look at your uh, go look at your social media accounts. How you doing with this? Hmm. How you doing with this? So uh, coming up next, we are excited to have uh, a friend of Ian's in the studio. Her name is Becca Tenhaken. Uh, talking about a Kickstarter that is launching today. Mm-hmm. Excited to have her in studio. That's coming up next year on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Thank you for joining us today. You are welcome. Thank you again. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show. If that had happened month one, I would have been so thrown off. I was just expected. <laughs> you just roll with it. On Twitter, at Common Good Talk. That's at Common Good Talk. We're super excited to be joined in studio uh, by Becca Tenhaken. I got it well right. Done. I think it's pronounced Tenhaken, isn't it? Um, not, if you're in not Amsterdam, stateside. you better believe it. <laughs> not, yep. stateside. Not, not stateside. Not stateside. So something Ian has started doing when we interview people is just say, hey, why don't you introduce yourself? Tell us yeah. about what's, who you are, and uh, you're here to talk about something exciting going on. So why don't you tell us more about all that? Yeah. Um, so native of Crystal Lake, Illinois. What, what? So what, what, hey, oh, what, what? all the Crystal Lakers out there. <laughs> um uh one of four kids mm-hmm. and um man there's lots of things i could say i'm very passionate about good coffee yes <laughs> very important piece of my life amen um i am i love just creative outlets so mm. that takes all sorts of forms um that can be crafting a church service through worship leading through music mm. Or it can be through um, writing music, or it can be through gathering creatives together yes. for for dinners and live music and artisan markets. And so I've got lots of different outlets that I express creativity, but my mm-hmm. biggest passion is to come alongside creatives and just mm-hmm. empower them and remind awesome. them who they are. So that's a big part of who I am. Well, I, I can speak to that, too, because I think... I think we now have been friends 15 years. Is that right? 15 years. A decade and a half. Yes. I don't feel like I'm old enough to have friends (laughs) that I've had for 15 years. That seems crazy. You're older than 15. Yeah. Well, that's true. But I've seen over the course of a decade and a half you doing exactly that. And it's remarkable to me because, uh, I mean, you you have uh, multiple degrees in worship arts Mm. and have led at local church levels, but also have, like you said, all these other sorts of offshoots and passions and projects and the thing that's so interesting to me is that oftentimes people whose brains work like that are just sort, they're sort mm. of scattered and yeah. they struggle to actually execute. You don't seem to have that. Like mm. you have all these irons in the fire and you make them happen. And I'm curious, just as a creative, how do you actually stay diligent yeah. to like let something exist for a season and then be done with it? Or how do you still kind of keep the those different passions like stirred, but also moving in a direction? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think there's one piece of it that's, more and more spiritual. Hmm. And then there's one side that's all very practical, not that practical isn't spiritual, but there is a, like a prayer process to it. Mm-hmm. Of like, what is mine to do? What does this season have me to do? What seasons are over? What, what new things are you bringing? I kind of always want to be open to, hmm. to new and also want to be really open handed to let things go if it's time. So there is a big prayer surrender process to it. And then I also, I think I've just been around enough creatives who have gotten that rap Mm. that I'm like, no, 
that's not true of us. We can get stuff done. <laughs> yes. We can kind of like rise above um, whether we feel like doing it or not. A yeah. lot of that is like if I feel like I'm being creative today, if I feel right. like it or if I am inspired, then I'll do it. Um, but I really believe I, there's someone somewhere said something really smart. They said that creativity is about 90 percent perspiration and 10 percent inspiration. Yes, totally. And so I think when I started actually experiencing that in reality, I was like, OK, that's that's got to have to be I have to be OK with that 90 percent and the become grind, friends the, with it. Yes. Yeah. And so try to come up with creative ways to to get the job done. That's awesome. Yeah. So let's put you both on the spot. Define cre- <laughs> define creatives for the people out there. How is it the same and different from artists? Oh, I'll let you take that oh, one. Oh boy. Oh boy. <laughs> well, I'm so glad you just said that because I think there is a really important distinction between the two. And I believe that everyone is a creative. I think artists help people help point everyone to artistic expressions Mm -hmm. and kind of draw out that creative. I think one of the easiest ways to point to it is the creativity in a child. Mm. There's this awesome book, um, orbiting the giant hairball, (laughs) (laughs) whatever that's called. Uh, Um, and they talked about like the creative process and there was an interview that they interviewed a bunch of kindergartners and they just said, which ones of you think that you're artists? And everyone shot up their hands oh, and wow. then they went to like middle school and high school and they oh, asked the same question and it was really limited to just those few that had gone to an art class or had been affirmed in their gift. And so, so I think that points to it. Yeah. I think we all have a creative wonder about us and then life just kind of starts to happen yeah. and it starts to be pulled away from us. That is a great Great. I would. What I often say is uh, to anyone, you're created by a creator yes. to create. Yes, exactly. And, and and whenever I teach Genesis, I'll often say, I think it comes down to there are painters and gardeners, mm. and I'll kind of unpack the different way they see the world mm. and the different ways they engage creatively. And like, it, it sounds like we're on the same page totally. there, but yep. it is unfortunate because I can't say how many people. I've heard in any given week, they're like, I'm just not creative. Yeah. I'm like, that's just not true. Like it's right. in, and I know that you care about this. How do you help people see that? Like, no, you actually, even, even though you maybe couldn't ever believe this, have yeah. this creative spark because you, you share the Imago day with a creative God. How do you help people see that in themselves? Yeah. I think I, I'm, I love this idea of just kind of asking questions and asking people about their story and asking them what they're passionate about and then kind of pointing, holding up a mirror and saying, do you know that that's actually a creative process? Oh, that's good. Whether it's a doctor, a dentist, a teacher, like it can be so many different professions, but there's a creative element in every single thing that we do, yes. especially things that we're passionate yeah. about. Yeah. There's a creative piece to it. And so you're here today. Today's a big day for you. Yes. So why don't you, and we'll spend a lot of the next segment talking about uh, the project you're working on, but what is, uh, why is today such a big day? It's like a birthday. It's it like, a, it's a big day for you. <laughs> it is. It's so big. So we, um, just officially launched the Kickstarter of, um, a magazine called Enneagram magazine. Mm. Um, my business partner, Molly Tyndall, shout out to her. She's awesome. She's amazing. And, um, so her and I collaborated on this project called Enneagram magazine. So we're wow. launching our Kickstarter to get our first issue out into the world. So give us the overview then of what, why a magazine? Why this medium? Yeah. And why Kickstarter? Yeah. So a big part of it, well, we love physical print. Hmm. We love magazine. We hmm. love the whole idea of grabbing a cup of coffee, unplugging from technology, yes. just being still and being with like a physical resource. Yes. We think that that's going to be 
even for our generation that's growing up and depending more and more on our cell phones, it's going to be more and more important for us to yeah. get away from them, unplug from mm. them, and really have a physical resource in our hands. That's awesome. But also something aesthetically beautiful that draws you in. And um, so it, it's a little bit different than just a book about the Enneagram. Right. It's a, a resource that's a little bit interactive. There's questions. It's meant to be something that's brought into the concept of community that's talked and collaborated. You're, you're talking back and forth. You're talking through the questions together. Mm. Um, and then the next issue will be starting to explore specific topics. And we're going to be just bringing in different voices um, to everyday people that we know that yeah. love and um, are embracing this wisdom and applying it to their lives to some of the teachers mm. that we highly respect mm. that have their books are some of the highest, you know, that are mo- most referenced, That's I would awesome. say, That's in cool. this time. So we, we want it to be both. That's great. So we'll spend the next segment talking about the Enneagram and specifics about that. Uh, I'm going to show my naiveness here. Uh, Kickstarter, explain for people out there exactly how it works, what it is. What are we talking about? Yeah, so Kickstarter is a group funding place, Mm -hmm. uh, platform, where you can say, hey, we have this dream to make this product, and will you help us fund it Mm. so that we can actually make it a reality into the world? So you come alongside, you... And you support and you can get some incentives. We partnered with a few different artists to be able to give different incentives depending on how much you donate. Mm. But you do get the physical magazine itself. That's awesome. awesome. That's great. Well, we're going to, Becca Ten Haken is going to stay with us. You got it right the second time, too. Way to go, man. Way to go. uh, (laughs) I'm words of affirmation, guys. So uh, she's going to stay with us next. We're excited to have a conversation, especially about the Enneagram, which uh, if you're in the Christian circles or just in the world, you've heard of. Mm -hmm. uh, But probably a lot of people out there have some questions about it. So we're going to talk about that next here on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you joining us today. As a reminder, you can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show or on Twitter at Common Good Talk. That's at Common Good Talk. Well, we are really excited to be joined in studio by Becca Tenhaken. Hello. And uh, hello. <laughs> uh, and I'm here. Becca gave us great background in the last segment. If you missed it, you can find it on the podcast. Uh, but... Her and a business partner have launched a Kickstarter that launches today mm-hmm. uh, to support and get out there an Enneagram magazine. And so uh, the Enneagram. Yeah. All right? So I'm one of the only pastors that I know who has never taken it. <laughs> and I can't tell you how many people like you got to do it. And I'm not against it, not for it, just yeah. have never done it. Yeah. Yeah. So um, sell somebody like me, but more yeah. likely people out there yeah. who are kind of like you know, totally. another test. Another this. That's not what I think, but, you know, right, 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 right. <laughs> another test or like, oh, this is just the next trendy thing. Like you're devoting a lot of your energy, time yeah. and money yeah. to uh-huh. the Enneagram. Uh, yeah. Talk about why you think it is such an important resource. Yeah. Well, first of all, I would say it's actually probably a gift that you're mm. kind of walking into it just with a curious. I haven't had any experience with it because mm. there are a lot of people now who are like kind of post yeah. Enneagram kind right. of have had a negative experience with it. Yeah, and right. so I'm actually pretty hopeful hearing that you're like open <laughs> and curious yeah, yeah. about it. Nice. Um, so I would say that for Molly and I in particular, we're not trying to make like Enneagram converts. We're uh, not like trying to like, 
win people over for the Enneagram, we're champions of self-awareness. Mm. We're champions of people taking a deep dive into their story and being freed up from habits and things that hinder them from mm. living out of freedom. Right. And we have found the Enneagram to be an incredible tool yeah. and resource that points to really um, foundational insights that can be found in scripture, that can be found in um, psychology, that can be found at some of the very like kind of well more well trusted maybe. Yeah, yeah. Um, they they partner up with those things. They're not. This isn't like a thing in and of itself. Right. It points to truths that are that go deeper than just the enneagram. I would say. Mm. So I love what Su- Suzanne Stabile says about it. She says one of the main dangers of the enneagram is taking it for more than it was meant to be. Mm. And I think there's a, there's a, a caution, yeah. and that's actually part of our first issue is the dangers of the Enneagram. Oh, interesting. No kidding. Okay. Just to give people a heads up of, hey, this this can be misused. Right. And here's some things to be aware of. That's really smart. We So last week, two weeks ago, we did a two-day workshop with our staff at Community. First day was with the whole staff, and mm. then the second day was with just our Yellow Box team. Mm. And so I had posted a photo, and I said, man, two days. It was actually with Stabile's daughter. Uh, it was phenomenal. And people, I mean... We walked through a lot of the dangers and stuff too. It was just a really great two days. So I posted the photo and the vast majority of people were like, way to go. Love yeah. seeing churches kind of, and then I had one person was like, do you have any concerns about the roots right. of Indiana, like where it right. comes from? And I said, nope. <laughs> 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 Which isn't a right. great answer. Right. Like, Clearly you do, but right. I'm yeah. right. <laughs> And I, like linked, I linked to the ministry page that they, you know, that we hired yeah. and that I think that kind of helped explain some of it. But I imagine you get those questions. How would you answer yeah. someone who's listening Thinking that it's Enneagram is like the new branding of the Illuminati or whatever. Like, how do you how do you answer that question specifically? Yeah, I mean, I think it's one of those. Well, I mean, and for so many things of life, kind of the proof is in the pudding. Like, I'm just a living testament that it has been incredibly helpful. It's been a resource that Mm. I've brought into my counseling sessions. It's something that I brought into my marriage relationship. Mm. It's something even that I'm starting to be aware of with my kid. And it's just. It's really incredibly helpful yeah. and has brought us so much freedom awesome. and resonates so deeply with me with the truths that I know to be true. Yeah. Again, I don't want to assume people out there know even how it works. So yeah. maybe nuts and bolts of the Enneagram. And if someone's interested in taking the test, uh, maybe point them in a direction. Yeah. And so um, what's interesting, too, is the Enneagram is it's an ancient wisdom, but it's also starting to emerge more and more. So there's more and more content being created. There's, and I think we're always going to have more and more creative um, content to work with because more and more people are going to be experiencing it right. and have just more to share about it, right. yeah. which I think is awesome. Yes. Right. Shouldn't that be kind of like the gospel and like, <laughs> like some things along those lines. So um, I would say some people caution against the test because we're quite self-deceiving people. Right. Um, it can be a good starting point, mm-hmm. um, but there's also the, a stronger encouragement from teachers that I trust say, just take the time to read through each number and read through the different triads. That's like they group three numbers together and it's the head and the heart and the gut. And that's kind of just like, what do you first, how do you first engage with something Mm. in the world? Do you engage with your head? Do you engage with how you feel about it? Or is it like, I have a gut sense about this and then start to narrow it down from there. Mm. So uh, there's something just about reading through them and being like, man, as I read this, usually it's the negative or the darker side of that number or like when they're in unhealth, I would say not darker, but just like 
when they're unhealthy, some of those yeah. things, when it's when it starts to feel like really exposing, yeah. that can be an indicator that you might be getting closer uh-huh. to, <laughs> to a number. Well, and I've been cautioned from doing a test as well, and that's what I appreciate about this workshop is that the first day we covered childcare so that people could come with their spouses that's too. Awesome. Yeah. And this isn't an exact science. But I was counting the amount of chair kicks I got from my wife <laughs> when they're walking through numbers. And I was like, oh, this one might be me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because yeah. she sees me more clearly than even right. I do at times. You're like, right. you live with me 24-7, yeah. not like microphone and not stage and like this is. And that yeah. was actually really convicting because some of the stuff about that number I really hated. Yes, I was like, totally. that makes me. How would you? We're going to mention a couple of times. What is your website? How can people yeah. at least learn more or support it? Because I want to make sure people know. I want to get practical. Yeah. Make sure people find their way to you awesome. and other resources that you would recommend. Thank you. Yeah. So our website is just EnneagramMagazine.com. Oh, sweet. Yeah. And then the link is right on the top banner that says our Kickstarter is live. Join the journey here. EnneagramMagazine.com. How do you yeah. spell Enneagram just to make sure it's crystal clear? E-N-N-E-A-G-R-A-M. Magazine. Perfect. Magazine. Perfect. Yeah, you like tested me there. I was like, I'm pretty sure I can remember that. Oh, my. I would say another thing, too. Um, man, I just forgot what you were. It was along the lines of the exposing the number. Oh, yep. another key reminder. Yeah. We, sent, we spend the beginning of the primer just talking about some key reminders to help lay the foundation. Hmm. And one of the key things is you're actually not your number. Hmm. Your number is actually like the, this set of coping mechanisms, this lens that you look at the world through That's based good. off of your upbringing, yeah. reality that you were raised by humans. Uh-huh. Therefore, there's some stuff that came along with yeah, that. Right. So knowing what that is, and then that really removes some of the shame that can easily be attached to yeah. that. Oh, I just, I just read something about myself that I do yeah, a lot right. and I feel really shamed about it. Hmm. You can separate yourself and say the invitation is actually to, to, it doesn't put you in a box. It teaches you about the box that you're naturally in hmm. and how to kind of live outside of that yeah. in a free way. That's great. So, uh, Whenever Myers Briggs back in the day, right? The Enneagram, yeah. it feels like one of the dangers of them is it can become a crutch, right? right. I'm an introvert. I'm not supposed to like people, so yeah, I'm not yes. going to like people. <laughs> right, right. Um, is that a critique you hear a lot? And uh, does the Enneagram do a good job in helping you? Uh, it sounds like when used well, it's like, no, this is more to help you understand yourself so that you right. don't do that. And, right. you know, as opposed to going, hey, well, my Enneagram said I'm. A mean person, so I'm going to be yeah. a mean person. Right? Like I'm just being an eight. You're like, no, you're just being a jerk. Right, exactly. No, that's actually not a number thing. Yeah, right. Right. And that's actually a page. The dangers is yeah. it can be used as a weapon or a mm. shield. Like you're being, you're so being whatever number. Yeah, yeah right. Or, um, oh, I just am that number. So yeah, that's, that's so that's the shield piece. So mm. absolutely. And I think that's the caution. Yes. And it is really, I mean, all these spiritual directors, all these people who use it, I think and treasure it and and use it in a way that's really cautious mm. would say it's a very internal journey. Yes. Yeah. And once someone knows your number, they know a lot about you. Yeah. That's right. that's entrusting a oh, lot of information to a person pretty quickly. That's really good. And so it's definitely something that I would say we're really passionate about using caution around 
making sure we've got the right voices, that we we give it the weight. Mm. And not just for the Enneagram, but in general, how you interact with humans yes. as they go inward and share their story and share their weaknesses and that's are vulnerable so with you. That's, so that's EnneagramMagazine.com. The Kickstarter starts today. You have 30 days to do it. Real yes. quick before we wrap up, because I know when it comes to people's money, if yeah. they're still worried about this, are there other places you could say, hey, if you want to learn more about the Enneagram before yeah. you support our Kickstarter, is there one or two places you would point people? Yeah, um, so we do have our Instagram account, and awesome. we do have some resources on our website as well that point to some of our most trusted. Perfect. That's yeah. great. Yeah. Yep. Well, this has been a lot of fun, and yeah. I'm going to take the test. I'm going to do it. Awesome. She, she cautions from the test. Remember that, Brian? I know, but it's <laughs> well, a you good start. start there. It's a good start. <laughs> all right, all right. Yeah. I'm going to read the magazine. <laughs> <laughs> good man. Enneagrammagazine.com. Yep. Go there right now. Becca Tenhaken, thank you so much. This has been a lot of fun, informative, good laughs. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. For Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. This is The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Here's some weird stuff we found on the internet. Here's some more weird stuff we found on the web. Well, that music can only mean one thing. What thing does it mean, Brian? Uh, It means that the craziness is ready. From the minds of PJ... Hmm. And Keith Conrad, it is uh, it is just the time we like to pop the balloon, land the plane, park the boat, all that stuff with just crazy things from the internet. Hold on. But pop, before pop, we get there. Before even you do the before we get there. Pop the balloon? Yeah. Yes, exactly. Now let the tension out. Let the, what tension is it? Now there's tension. Yeah, but not between us. Oh. I mean, Enneagram, like it was wonderful, but like now we're like, well, who am I as a person? So now I think you're like that. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) But before we do, did you know, Ian, that there are 52 great date suggestions in the ebook Date Night Ideas by Dr. Greg and Aaron Smalley? I did know that. Did you know that that is book is that ebook is free from Focus on the Family? What? And you can download it now at 1160hope.com keyword marriage. That is 1160hope.com keyword marriage. Outstanding. All right. Why don't you go first? Give us the craziness. Why don't I go first? Missouri. Doctors find brown recluse. Recluse? Recluse. Spider in woman's ear. No. I don't like this. Susie Torres thought she had water in her left ear. When it would not go away. I don't even want to read this. Keep going. She went to see a doctor and was in for quite a surprise when a medical assistant first checked her out. She ran out and said, I'm going to get a couple more people. Oh, that's always good, right? Let me gotta, I got to get some more people. Torres told 41 Action News. She then said, I think you have an insect. And then Torres said, uh, while she did not know exactly what was in her ear at the point, she did not panic. Good for her. She came back in told me it was a spider, Torres said. They had a few tools and worked their magic and got it out. Doctors later told her it was a highly Ooh. venomous brown recluse spider. Luckily, after a checkup, doctors told her the spider did not bite her. There's no spider here, but I will hunt down the alleged arachnid and spread some to kingdom come. <laughs> so that's a good scene. That is both crazy gross and she got lucky that that's Yeah, no kidding. No, thank you. New Hampshire man driving car full of balloons leads police on chase to his house. This is for up to, I think, <laughs> police officers in Nashua, New Hampshire. You fan of the office? I mean, of course. Jim went and worked in Nashua. Whoa. Way to go, Brian. They were led on an overnight (laughs) chase by a man driving a car stuffed full of balloons. State police received a call around 3.30 a.m. Thursday for a report of a hazardous driver. The caller said the dark-colored sedan did not have any lights on traveling northbound. 
Troopers spotted the black Audi A4 in Nashua and attempted to pull the car over, but the driver, later identified as 20-year-old William Riley, uh, sped up (laughs) as he tried to flee police. Police pursued the car with Massachusetts license plates until the driver arrived at his his Bedford home. As Riley pulled in the driveway, he lost control and crashed into his own garage. He attempted to flee into the house, but he was quickly apprehended. It's not clear what the balloons were even for. Is that just the sound of a balloon? It's disturbing. I really hate this. Is it going to keep going? That's my least favorite drop of all time. That might be it. I thought something was happening with our headphones. That was. I love that his name was Riley, though. That's two riled up references today. Okay, New Jersey, America's paradise. I told you last time. Yeah, I don't. That's not going to (laughs) stick. Women steal baby stroller from store, leave one of their children behind. (laughs) That's how we roll there. Roll. That was good. Uh, Two women who allegedly stole a baby stroller and left a child behind have been arrested in New Jersey. A group of three women and children entered a baby store in Middleton on August 16th. Authorities say one of the women went to the front of the store to grab the stroller while the the other two distracted an employee. One of the women then returned after realizing one of the children was left behind. Two of the three women have been arrested and face shoplifting and conspiracy charges. Both are from England and in their early 20s. The store's owner, Enelio Ortega, says the women stole an English stroller that likely would have been cheaper overseas. Oh, yeah. The word you're looking for is wow. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty funny. I get Florida. Yeah, you do. Seven foot alligator walks across green near golfer. Why is this guy standing so close to it? Not only that, watch what happens here. A Florida golfer almost had a new caddy in the form of an alligator. Uh, this TV station said he was enjoying a game of golf. His name is Steel Lafferty. Of course it is. Oh, that's great. Steel Lafferty. He was enjoying Lafferty. a game of golf at the Champion Gate Country Club. When it was time to make his shot, he said a seven-foot alligator snuck up just feet away. Golfing in Florida is just different, he wrote under the video posted. <laughs> the clip has been viewed 59,000 times. The alligator didn't seem to have a care in the world as it made its way down the fairway. Lafferty told a, to- a local TV station the alligator walked about 100 yards before disappearing into a lake by the green. I say we take off and nuke the entire site for Morbid. It's the only way to be sure. Oh, that's not fair to the alligators. I All thought right. I saw online that he then chipped over the alligator. Wow, maybe, that would be impressive. It would be impressive if your name was Steel. Yeah, it, people probably expect that from a guy named yes. Steel. Yes. All right, last one's out of Texas. America's belt buckle. Good. No? All right. Nope. This may be first allegation of a crime from space. It's an unfortunate custody dispute. Uh-huh. Is this going to be a sad oh, this one? This is good. This is Keith. I saw this online from oh, Keith you did? this okay. week. Yes. It's an unfortunate custody dispute between estranged spouses with one element that makes it stand above all others. It has led to what the New York Times reports might be the first allegation of a crime in space. In the short version, astronaut Anne McLean is accused of improperly accessing the bank accounts of spouse Summer Warden while McLean was aboard the International Space Station, reports Click to Houston. Warden has the bank records to prove that McLean did so, and the astronaut is not denying it. McLean is not accused of taking or even moving any money. She maintains that she was simply doing what she had always done while the couple was together, keeping an eye on finances out of concern for the boy they've been raising together. She strenuously denies that she did anything improper, says her attorney. Talk about the wrong stuff. <laughs> That's funny. That's good. I saw that from Keith this weekend. That's, That's so wild. From space, a crime from space. Well, it's been a fun day, a fun Monday. Thank you for joining us. Hope you join us tomorrow from 4 to 6 here on AM 1160. 
For Ian Simpkins, my my name is, it is still, <laughs> my name is Brian Fromm. This is The Common Good. Have a great day. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.